Well, good morning, Spruce Grove Community Church. Are we ready to worship our Lord today? It's good to have everybody in the house. If you're visiting with us today, just an extra special welcome to you. We're thankful you're here today, and we pray that God would touch each and every heart in this building. Amen? Let's go back into worship this morning. Father, we are so honored to be in the house of God today. Father, whatever is going on in our life, whatever is going on in our journey, right now we choose to lay that aside and to worship the one who is worthy of praise, to worship the one that can take us through whatever season we're in, to worship the one who's been faithful, to worship the one who has healed, the, to worship the one who has brought freedom. Father, today we choose to honor you because you are worthy of honor. Let's worship him today. Jesus said the Father seeks such as will worship him in spirit and truth. Those are the least definitive words you could ever give to describe worship. Because worship does not consist of just one outward expression. You can't reduce it to a sound. You can't reduce it to a movement. You can't reduce it to a, a series of words portraying good thoughts. It's, it's beyond all of these things. It is a deep longing. It says, come, Lord. It says, Lord, we want the gap between you and I to be reduced. Oh, ba oh how badly we want it to be reduced. Oh, God. Lord, we declare this morning that you are worthy of it all. And Father, we pray that you would give us the ability to pour out our hearts. To pour out our hearts. Like the, the, like the woman who broke the alabaster box. Who wept over your feet who poured out the deepest expressions of passion and desire. Father, may we be unashamed to open the depths of who we are and cry out with all of our beings. Can you say amen? Thank you, Father. All right. Praise God. You know, worship is, uh, is the essential litmus test of your faith and yet yet worship if you break it down to its expressions what are the components of worship you could de do each of them better more beautifully with with accuracy and precision and still not even come close to what worship is Father, I pray today, God, that you would, uh, you would bring a wrecking ball to everything that we think that is not you and give us you. Father, we, we want to declare today, despite the things that we've experienced and seen and touched, we say, Lord, we still long for a narrowing, perfecting, 
of, of what the kingdom really is. Lord, show us, Father, we long to be the kinds of servants that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. I, all, all this week I've been thinking about a, a, how enigmatic, how mysterious the kingdom of God really is. And uh, as I've been thinking about it, I'm thinking of all the different feeble ways men have tried to fulfill an impossible edict. Uh, God is looking for something, and uh, the church history, the whole you know, 2,000 years is filled with versions of men trying to live up to that. And how many of you know that you know, it's resulted in some pretty sorry expressions, largely? But we are coming closer and closer and closer to the essence of what the kingdom of God is. I remember as a young Christian, even when they talk about the kingdom of God, I, I, you know, some people would use the terminology with confidence, and I would say, I just don't think that that's what it is. You know, I, I, it's, well, the, when the kingdom of God comes, well, the Bible says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You can't narrow it down to here it is, there it is, that, that thing there, this. Like it's, if you just do this thing, right? You know how we develop cultural things, cultural, you know, certain dance moves, you know? And if you, you could do a dance move, you could repeat a motion and like, oh, that's it. You got the steps down exactly. Your hips are moving at the right time. Your foot's going the right direction. The, the pace is good. You could, I think you got it. Somebody can do, have a, a, an amazing moment in worship where everybody says, wow, that was so, such an expression of worship. And somebody else can replicate that precisely and still say, yeah, no, that wasn't it. Do you know how frustrating that is to the human psyche? <laughs> yeah, don't tell, you don't have to tell me. I, I've lived it, right? <laughs> have you lived that? If you haven't lived that yet, you're going to. <laughs> and so uh, I was trying to think of a way to label this message. Uh, I, so I come up with a couple of things. Christianity, not what you think. The way of life. Christianity, not the path of mysticism, legalism, or cynicism. I don't know. I am just filled with a longing for a disciple to come up that fulfills the desire of his heart. And I want to be that people. And I feel the pull of the, 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 the heart of God looking for a generation. And so uh, there's going to be certain frustrations involved in this. And... Uh, I was thinking about it this way. You could list the top 10 correct characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. So I want you to think in your mind, you know, all the things you've learned, you know, that, that have distinguished, you think, well, you know, I used to be like this and now I'm doing this. I didn't used to go to church and now I go to church. I used to sin and now I don't sin. I used to, I used to not, you know, uh, prophesy and now I prophesy. I used to... I mean, make, make the, I used to be impatient, and now I'm patient. You could, you could take the quintessential best characteristics of what the best Christians you've seen and emulate those things and still not even come close 
to what's required. So how do you boil it down then? How do you, how do you say this? Well, you should be a Christian. Like, well, what does that mean? And, and we try to attach to it certain iconic <laughs> images, you know, to make it relevant at least, but it doesn't do it. I remember as a young Christian, I was at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and, and I actually was reading this in, in the book Metaspheres because I had a, an encounter, and, um, and I was, it was my first glimpse at the real ethereal, invisible elements of the kingdom of God. But I, I was, I was uh, doing everything I could to be a good Christian. I was copying everybody. You know, and I was going after the most, you know, what, what, what seemed to represent the most awesome, zealous behaviors. You know, the people who got up at 5 a.m. and prayed for hours, okay? Oh, those are, the, those are the unique ones. Those are the special ones. Like, those seem to, people seem to be in high regard, so I got to do that. You know, the people who are willing to go out and share their faith with unbelievers at rock concerts and in parks and, and, and you know, down where the bars were. And so I thought, okay, that's, that's the hard stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that stuff. And then I, I started learning about worship. So, you know, when I went to Christ for the Nations, first thing that happened, I'm standing there, the first music starts, and all of a sudden people go running down to the front, like just by the hundreds. And I'm thinking, where are they going? And, you know, after a while I realized, oh, they dance here. And uh, okay, all right. Well, you know, so about a couple of weeks, you know, watching and thinking, you know, I could, I could probably do that. You know, it seems to be an ex- a required expression of the zealous, you know, gotta, gotta dance. Got to lift my hands up this way, and you know the you know should be boisterous, have expressions, you know, be sincere, be authentic. And so I did all of those things, only to to discover I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> now, is God disappointed when we do it wrong? No, no, He's not disappointed. In fact, the requirement of this thing is you have to do it wrong first. Because you're doing it wrong is your best, it's, it's you're saying, God, I want to. It's, and you, you know what else it is? It's an expression of humility. One of the things that keeps us back is we, we see people doing it wrong. We say, I don't want to do it that way. We people, see people doing it right and then only to find out it was wrong. So we're like, man, I'm not sure I want to risk this. So let's find the most placid, the most motionless version of this, and that's the church I'm gonna go to, because then it's unlikely you're gonna be called out for doing it wrong, because nothing's required of you. <laughs> no, the, the, the journey is gonna step out, gonna do it, only to find out that I did it superficially. In that first visitation, you know, I was, I was going to worship uh, events. I was going to classes. I was reading my Bible. I was, oh, I was doing all these things, and I was thinking, man, this is this is a great, a great culture, a great atmosphere. But I didn't know what made it great. I thought it was the accumulation of all these things. If you have this there, if you have this, if you have this, then you have a great church. And it's like, no, that's not it. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's not the things you see, but it's in everything that you see. So how do we do it then? 
if all we can do is replicate what we see, because the path is riddled with expressions of humility where we're willing enough to lay it out there and to be told, not quite that way. And there's nothing else really like it. I was thinking about even how people define Christianity, and, and uh, I, I think I wrote it down here somewhere. I wrote so many things down during the worship, I, I've lost my notes. But I was looking at the, the, the definitions of, of religion, and I'm thinking, that definition of religion does not match Christianity. It's not a set of observances. It's not a theological system. It's, it's not the ritual or liturgy that's a part of your worship. It's, it's none of all those things. And yet it's still something. <laughs> Christianity is the one religion you can know everything about and still not understand it. <laughs> how, how impossible is that? You want us to keep coming here? <laughs> oh, here's the definition. Religion is a set of organized beliefs, practices, and systems that often relate to the belief and worship of controlling force, such as a personal god or another supernatural being. No, it isn't. Not with Christianity. That might apply to Hinduism, Buddhism, or every other thing. But Christianity, Christianity is not any of those things. Christianity is defined by this one thing, being connected to a source. The essence of being a Christian is connectivity. It's, it comes down to how connected to the Spirit of God are you? And that's why you have this problem where people can do it exactly the way the next person is doing it and still be completely wrong. You know, at least with natural things, uh, you think about the dancers, going to learn to dance. You know, at least when you, when you go to do the dance, there's a prescribed behavior. And, and once you can do that prescribed behavior, you're in. Right? You, well, you, you just move your hands like this. Now, some people can do it better. But there's, with, with kingdom things, there's always an invisible, ethereal X factor. And that spiritual things like that are evident not only in our faith, but they're, they're evident in other places. You know, you, you, you talk about somebody who sings, and the, somebody sings, you know, their, their technique is perfect, their articulation is excellent, they got good tone, and it's like, that was really good. Somebody else sings, they're not as good, not as technically perfect, their tone is not as good, but the whole room is moved. So who did it better? the one who you don't know why it was better. That's Christianity. How do, we, how do we touch that invisible reality? How do we connect to that? I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to tell you the different ways you're not doing it. Because that's kind of how, how we happen upon 
these things. It's through trial and error. You work out your, fa- your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to do that. I want to be safe. Just tell me what to say liturgically. I'll come in and I'll say it, and we'll be done with it. All right? That's No, no, no. Because the very nature of what it means a servant of God is you have to look bad while he looks good. What I mean is we're, we're not, like there can only be one. This is, the, this is why this story of David, when he worshiped and he humbled himself and he pulled off you know, all of his dignif- dignified robes and everything and, and he danced with his whole heart and his wife didn't understand. It's like, well, you don't understand what this is about. I make myself more indignified because a part of what I want to do is I want to make him holy. I want to distinguish him by not trying to be like him in the sense of when in the area of dignity. No, he deserves all of it. And, And so there's this requirement that we would humble ourselves. But here's the here's the beautiful thing. When you do it. You get changed into his likeness. The more you're willing to embrace the fact that you're not doing it right, the more likely you'll start to do it right. How does that work? That's called dying to yourself. You know, I, I find people often who, who aren't serving the Lord but are once. Like, you know, they say, well, you know, I went to church once. I, I studied it. And I, I, I did everything that I required and it didn't work for me. Well, you did it wrong. You definitely did it wrong. Now, the uh, Pharisees were, of course, very critical of Jesus, and, and their problem is they, they came from a very explicit system with very, very, very clear lines. If you do this, you do it right. If you wear this and wear it in this particular way, you're You're golden. And everything was completely external. It's like, if you, if you hold your hand this way, if you wear this, if you don't eat that, you're good. And they come to Jesus, and it seems like there's no rules at all. In fact, he's doing all the things that we're, we're told as good Jews we should not do. And then when they ask him, like, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? And, you know, how do we know that this is the right way? He gives them very enigmatic answers. He doesn't give anything that would assure them that he is who he says he is. Why would he do that? Like, you know, at least one concrete messianic scripture that you fulfilled, please. You know, say something that we know for sure. Give us a sign. Give us something that's tangible that we can put our hands on, that we get our minds around. And this is what he says. He says, if you were of the Father, you would love me, for I proceeded from God. That's kind of a self-serving answer, isn't it? Maybe, or else I'm just who I say I am. Why didn't he provide any concrete things? Because the kingdom of God does not come with the observation. You can't hinge your faith on anything concrete like that. 
Well, then, well, how come God heals then? How come God does signs and wonders? Because, you know, sometimes signs and wonders, you know, then people have something to attach to, like, well, there was a guy that was dead, and now he's alive. So I believe. Well, here's, no, not so. You are intellectually disposed to that idea because of the proof, but faith is not that. And the proof is that the places he did the most signs and wonders had the least amount of faith. And he said, if I had done these signs and wonders up there in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago. Signs and wonders, the proofs you seek for do not create faith. That's a part of the problem. Faith is acquired by seeing the invisible. Faith is acquired by connecting with the ethereal. Faith is acquired when something mystical that's in the word of God reaches to a place inside of you. Well, how do I get it in there more? Well, just read the Bible more. Well, I've been reading the Bible a lot, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Well, then obviously you're blocked. Well, how do I get unblocked? Can't help you. Like, but how, what assurance do we have that if we just do this, this, and this, it's going to work for us? There are none. Can you feel the powerlessness of that? That's the recipe. It just confounds the mind, doesn't it? So what is it? What is... What is this thing called Christianity, the faith? It can't be reduced to a list of rules. It, it, doesn't, it, it's, it has enigmatic principles, not easily simplified or divined, defined by systematic theology. Human intellect tried to draw a box around it to ensure people won't stray. You know, so theologians, they say, well, you know, to be, a, to be a, an orthodox Christian, you believe these things that are in this box. And so we got people giving mental assent to those things in the box, and yet they didn't make them Christian. And it didn't guarantee that they would be free from theological error. The church history is full of theological error. And so we try to make these nice, tidy boxes so you just don't go outside these lines. Color within the lines. And it didn't, it didn't do it. it. didn't create the kind of disciple that we hoped it would create. Man, we, we got them singing all the right songs, saying all the right words, we're giving them all the right rules, and they're still not good Christians. Because Christianity is about an invisible, impossible, unquantifiable connection with a source of life that is him. That, that when you see it increase in others, you, you, could, you could affirm it, but when they say, well, what was it that I did that met, let you know that? You know, because if it was that one time I come up and dance and went like this, I'll do that every week. And that's what happens. That's how we learn our cultures and create patterns. We, you know, we do something and somebody says, you know, that was, that was much better than you usually do. And so that's the thing we do from that point forward. You know, because it got affirmation from somebody I respected, therefore, okay, now that's my worship, you know, now I'm, I'm doing that one thing all the time. But the language that's used to define Christianity is, is not 
legislated, repeatable activity like that. If it would be so easy if it were. What's a Christian? Well, somebody who doesn't do this and does this. Oh, okay, I'm in. I'll do that. No, no, no. See, and we get frustrated by this because we, we come to church, we get in a system, we learn the behaviors, we, you know, in a charismatic church, we do charismatic things, we lift our hands, we start supporting financially, we're involved in helps and we're, we're working hard, we're being, we're being available to people, we're doing all the things, and yet, you know, why aren't I an elder in this church? Well, that takes a whole other thing. Well, what is it? Mm, how do you break it down? Spiritual authority. Capacity for life. Humility. Uh, an unusual, undefinable je ne sais quoi. <laughs> well, thanks for that. How do I aspire to that? <laughs> yeah. That's Christianity. Groping in the dark. That's, that's how God defined it. I created a system so that the nations could grope in, the, in, in pursuit of me in the hopes of finding me. Why groping? Really? Couldn't it be eating instead? Couldn't we just eat our way in? <laughs> Why groping? Because... Because the last thing humanity does well is humility. The last thing mankind does well, and the thing that epitomizes the kingdom of darkness is pride. And so the thing that must be the requirement interest for the kingdom of God is humiliation or humility. Humiliation is when, some, when humility is imposed on you. <laughs> Humility is the result of accepting the journey and, and, and doing everything to please him at the cost of your own dignity, at the cost of your refinement, at the cost of safety, at the cost of your fear. Ah, oh, you know, I, I just don't want, I'm afraid of doing it wrong. So afraid of doing it wrong. Well, you'll never get in then. Fear is the antithesis of love. And this is a kingdom of love. And so breaking that fear, risking that fear, exposing yourself to do the thing you fear to do is the requirement then. Sound fun? <laughs> so the human intellect tries to drive boxes. You know, it's like, tries to define in outward, visible behavior because, you know, we want to make it easier for people. No, we don't. Making it easier for people is only giving them a false sense of confidence. And that false sense of confidence has only resulted in an entitlement rooted in their willingness to sacrifice for a position they want to get. That's a structure of ambition and reward. And the whole nature of this thing is, no, I want to destroy your ambition. So I'm not going to give you a system where the ambitious will prosper most. 
But that's what we do when we create Christian cultures that are rooted in observable behavior. The ambitious people are the most willing to pretend. Oh, if there's power available, I mean, isn't that what politics is? Isn't that what we hate about politics? Because as soon as there's power to be, to be uh, wielded, people will do anything, say anything, do anything, right? Just, they'll posture themselves, they'll take on causes, they'll, you know, wave flags about things that they care nothing about for the possibility of authority. There's no chance God would make a system like that. There's no chance that God would create a system that rewards you and your ego and your ambition and your, your, your uh, enhanced sense of value. Now everything's gonna be built to do the opposite. And it's the most beautiful system I've ever seen. It's the most glorious, and it's perfect because, because there's only one who defines who's doing it right. Him. He's the only one that actually, at the end of the day, is defining who's doing it right. In eternity, when we stand before him, he's the only one that's judging. In terms of when he's giving you favor, he gives, well, how come that person has such favor? Like, I do this better than them. No, but the favor comes from God. Jesus grew in favor with God and men. Well, let's do what he did. Yeah, you try. You can, you can do the perfect reproduction of his lifestyle, his words. And that, that was my problem when I, I thought, I don't understand this. I went out to evangelize. I'm saying the same things Jesus said, and it's not having anything near the, the effect. This doesn't work. Now, I didn't believe that. I believed it worked. I just assumed I'm doing it wrong. The difficulty is when we begin to assume that he's got it wrong. Your frustration is actually an expression of a kind of entitlement that because you put your best forward foot forward, you made the effort that God should therefore reward you, independent of whether you're doing it even remotely right. So a lot of us, we get stuck in a subtle resentment. Well, you know, it's just, just this... Bless me club where people, you know, if they just do the, this and that and they all get promoted and they all hang out together and, you know, and we're stuck here on the outside looking in. Well, we're going to create our own church. It's based on eating. <laughs> we'll gather around the thing that we do well and we'll just create another offshoot. Yeah, in Judaism, man, they had all kinds of lines. But there are no lines. There is no spoon. It's not defined by a culture, a style, a series of preferred postures. Uh, so there's no, out, the problem with, with Christianity is there's no outward measurements which guarantee success. None. Now, I want to give a biblical example. And I, I've, I've, I may have shared this before, but seeing as it's, we're coming up to Christmas, I'm going to use some Christmas passages. There's a great scenario I remember noticing this a long time ago, and I thought, I thought, this is so good. In Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, there's a story of Zacharias. You know who Zacharias is? Zacharias is John the Baptist's father. And so 
uh, an angel comes to visit John the Baptist's father. And it's a really interesting uh, encounter. So it says this. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They're righteous. That means they're, they're doing things, you know, they have a good heart. They're observing their Judaism. They're, they have a hope for the Messiah. They're walking in all the commandments and ordinances. They're blameless in this sense before God. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on his right side of the altar of incense. And then Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will, bring, many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall not drink wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, the wisdom of the just and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All right, that's a lot of things. That's a, I mean, if I, that were me, I'd be in awe of such a moment. Zacharias, not so much. He focused on one trivial matter. Uh, I'm old. We're kind of we're past that, aren't we? And Zacharias says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Seemed like a legitimate question. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Okay, all right, thanks for that. So poor, poor Zacharias, he's, he's, in, he's faced with an impossible scenario, uh, and all of a sudden, he's mute. Now what's interesting is right after this, we're told of another person. Her name is Mary. Mary also has an encounter. Now listen to this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered the manner uh, of his greeting. 
of this greeting. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Sounds similar, right? Similar pattern here. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Wow, that's a pretty, I, I mean, Zechariah's word from the angel was good. Well, this is even better, right? This is, a, this is a high level word. Then Mary said, uh, but there's a problem. That's a great word, but uh, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel says, you shall be mute. Wait, wait, no. No, it doesn't say that. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is born will be called the Son of God. No mute there. Do you notice something? Her question was exactly his question. How will this be? Uh, they, somebody would look at that and say, well, obviously God is just not fair. <laughs> obviously, there's more to words when they're spoken than you know. Obviously, their words have a source. Words come out of something. And it's not the fact that the words have these components in them. It's about where they came from. What are they attached to? See, this is the best glimpse you're going to get of the kingdom and about what God is actually looking to happen in your life. What are you connected to? Do you get a sense of fulfillment by doing the right things? Do you feel emboldened to ask God for special things when you have not done anything onerous this week? When you made sure that you read your Bible and you didn't yell at anybody and, and you know, had no violent encounters on the freeway while you were driving home? Like, well, what is it that gives, what is the motivation, what is the source when you approach God for something? What's the catalyst for your boldness, for, for the desire and the expectation that you have? Is it entitlement? Is it, I did this for you, God, now you owe me? I've been tithing for so long and now I have a crisis and you know, you're gonna come through because of my faithfulness. See, those, those things don't come forward in the language. Two people come before God, God, I have a need. Father, Father, I cry out to you. Exact words, exact language. One gets an answer, the other doesn't. Well, this is just not fair, somebody would say. The Bible says God's not a respecter of persons. Obviously, he is. <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't do it the same. You didn't do it right. But I said the same words. Yeah, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There was a, there's a whole litany of... You know, when, when, when a computer starts up, you know, before you see the screen, a whole bunch of things kick in. Layers of code. You know, it used to take a long time, right? You remember the early computers? Like, took forever. Please start up. But all this thing 
All this stuff underneath happens and then something appears on the screen. When you speak, when you do something, it's not just what you do, not just what appears on the screen, not just the words you articulate. There's a whole system that kicks in. What system is it? Where is it rooted? What's it coming from? I don't understand it. I asked the same question as that one, and I got a totally different answer. Because you're operating from a different system. You just don't know it. And you, you have curtailed the last observable, seemingly relevant part of it in Jesus' name. <laughs> you attach that, you know, like that, that postscript at the end of your letter, in Jesus' name. Therefore, that's the magical elixir that gives me the open sesame. You got it right. No. No, there are components There are elements that God values. There's a whole system underneath that others do, and you don't even know it's being done. Well, they should tell me what they're doing then. It's not, you can't break it down like that. Wow. See, he was, Zacharias was rebuked for not believing. See, what what the angel detected in his words was no faith. Why? Because you can do all the right things. You can stand up here, you can be part of the dance team, you can be part of the worship team. Have you noticed the difference when certain people do things? Like, you know, somebody can get up here and preach, and it's like, like, man, it's so penetrating, so powerful. Somebody else gets up, speaks better, more articulate, more, more clever words, more, more colorful stories. It's like, eh, it was, it was good. What makes the world go round when it comes to the kingdom? Not the things you see. Not the things you see. And so, I'm coming to an end of my message here. But there's something in us that we like the lines. Some of us more than others. See, when you were, when you were born again, a part of you was made alive that wasn't alive, wasn't active before. When you get born again, it's not just a seal of approval for you to go to heaven. When you get born again, it's an activation of a capacity that you don't even understand. That finds its way into prayer. It finds its way into worship. It finds its way into serving the poor. It finds its way into evangelism. It finds its way into acts of kindness to our neighbors. But it isn't acts of kindness. Isn't the evangelism. Isn't what you do when, you're, when, when the songs are on. It's beneath. It's hidden. It's under. But it's the power of the kingdom. It makes all the difference. And what you got when you became born again, you became connected to a source. How well connected you are is what determines how effective you are. Because, and, and on the level of your heart, confidence about what makes the difference will decide how deeply you're connected to the one the observable or the invisible. 
And if you feel like the observable matters more than the invisible, well, you keep striking out. And you won't know why. And then all of a sudden, new people are going to get saved, and they're rocketing up to the front of the line. They're being used by you. Like, what? I've been a Christian 40 years. My theology is way better than this. Why? The kingdom of God does not come with observation. We are connected to an invisible system. We are connected to an ethereal God. We are connected to spirit and life. When Jesus was talking about it, he says, the wind blows where it wills, and no one can tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. They're rooted in something that you barely comprehend. And as a young Christian, you start to come into it. But, but how it evolves in your life is, is not based on what others do around you. It's based on what you see, what you connect with, and how you respond. But the rewards that are given for the spirit life, the kingdom life, are never incorrect. Oh, people might be, people might be fooled by pretentious ambition, good acting, charisma, style, but spiritual people are not fooled. When they listen, when they're watching, they're looking for an invisible capacity. A wind, a life, a power that cannot be expressed in language, in intensity, in, uh, in the pleasing nuances of, of melodies or harmonies. It's way deeper than that, way more hidden. So let's stand up here. What we want to do is this. We want to say to God, okay, I, I don't understand clearly. I understand a little. I might even understand more than most. But there's things about this that I want to know and you can know. This is the beauty of it. Everybody in the room. Everybody in the room. If you want to know, you can know. If you want to know, you can know. What's it going to take? Maybe a little groping. Maybe a little humility. Maybe a little bit pulling back on the belief that, well, that guy is getting illegitimate favor. I'm a much more better Christian than him. Maybe start to suspect that that might not be so. Maybe start to suspect that God has a criteria that you're unaware of, but that you can begin to comprehend. We are trying in every way to be pleasing to him. Father, this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, train me. Train me. Your system is the best. Your, your, your priorities are the best. Your criteria for how you are ordering the kingdom, it is the best. And I'm gonna stop fighting. I'm just gonna stop resisting. I'm gonna stop raising my own, my own cultural system to compete with yours. Yours is the best. And I'm tired of kicking against the goads. I'm tired of investing myself into systems that don't work. Drawing lines that don't exist. Being the best Christian in my own head alone. 
Now, at the same time, you might be out here, and you think, oh, I'm a terrible Christian. Man, I, I have so much pride and so much brokenness in my life, and I'd like to serve God. I don't think I'm, I'm eligible. You're likely more eligible than the ones who think they're doing it right. That's the whole message of the Pharisee and the, and the sinner repenting before God. The Pharisee thought he was doing it right. The sinner said, oh God, have mercy on me. Some of the most broken people are the closest to the kingdom of God because they don't have the fortitude to fake it. They don't have the, they don't have the, the ambition, the confidence, the self-confidence enough to be pretentious before God because they're too well aware of what's broken in them. It's not necessarily a bad place to start. So if you find yourself on that side that, you know, I don't, I don't understand why I don't have more favor. Why, why haven't this, hasn't this church made me the pastor? If, I, if they put me on staff, I'd fix this place up in no time. Probably a good reason why you're not. But you might be thinking here, I'm totally disqualified. I don't know how to do this. So cry out to God. Grope, he's not far. He can be found. He has a system. And it's beautiful. His ways are perfect. So perfect. Father, we want to say, your ways are better than my ways. Your ways are better than my ways. And I'm bowing the knee today. And I give you permission. It's just... Hang a couple of minutes as these guys minister and just close your eyes and just, just let that desire go towards the Lord. I feel a burning. Ah, I feel a burning in my heart. Oh God, let deep desire. You're not that distant. You're not unapproachable. You're not untouchable, God. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that you have a path, and that path is perfect. And that path is scripted specifically for me. You are a unique God, and I am a unique being, and you have scripted and prepared a journey that's designed to shape me for who I am and who I'm not. So, Father, I say I'll stop comparing myself with others Uh, uh, for whom I know little about and I'll say I submit to your ways and I'm going to stop murmuring I'm going to stop crying injustice I'm going to stop pointing at the unfairness and the inequity of how things unfold because Lord you are a just judge and I trust you you are a good God and I trust you this is my position from this time out I will not waver In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take this next minute or two, and as the word says, as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. So let's let's do that as a body. As Ben just guides us in worship, our desire is to draw close to the Father. And just let him speak to you in whatever way he needs to speak to you right now. This is a message of hope. It takes off a lot of that, well, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. Actually, right now, 
This is the have to do, is we draw close to the Father and let him speak to our hearts. The Holy Spirit is available right now in this moment for each and every one who might be willing to say, I'm willing to be spontaneous. I'm willing to be creative in how I respond to you, Lord, in how I worship, how I pray. So what does that look like? I can't tell you. But in the name of Jesus, I release a liberty for spontaneous response, creative response. The spirit of liberty is on you. Make a sound. Move. Do something a little different. He's releasing your spirit capacity right now for whoever's willing. Whoever's willing. You know, these moments, uh, they're sometimes the hardest moments as well because we actually feel like we need to do something. And we're looking for what are the steps I need to take right now? What do I need to do? And actually, this is that that deep place that God actually wants to take us to. It's a little harder to go here. This is actually when we come into that quiet place with the Lord, where all of a sudden we, we choose not to allow what's around us to intimidate us, to hold us back from declaring Him Lord, from speaking with Him, from lifting our hands to Him. In the quiet place, this is where actually everything begins to shift, where transformation takes place, where we actually build a relationship with Jesus. Is when it's us and Him. And in those moments, we talk to Him, we listen to Him, we lift our hands, we do what David did, we do whatever it is we feel God's called us to do in those moments. And as we do it, there's always a release. You know, I know for some of us, we might be new to church and we might be saying, I don't fully understand this, but here's the one thing about Christianity. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about, like Mark said, performing, going and doing our repentance on Sunday and doing it. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And as a church, we would be doing you a disjustice if we didn't give you these opportunities to actually talk to him. This is ultimately the whole point of church in some ways is us relaying a message that you can actually talk to him. You can be with him. You can encounter him. He can speak to you. And he wants to do all that. Do we believe that, church? That's the God we serve. That's what he does. As we seek him, we will find him. That's what he does. Can we say amen? Well, thank you, Pastor Mark, for a good message today. We thank the Holy Spirit that he chooses to visit us. He chooses to speak to us. He chooses to talk to us about the things sometimes that we just need to hear them. 
And so we thank him today for his word and his message.